welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goals of this series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. We are very fortunate today to have as our guest a representative from the patient side, one who functions as a matchmaker, developing pathways to connect patients with innovation. This matchmaker is Jen Horanjeff, the founder and CEO of Savvy Cooperative, the first and only patient-owned public benefit co-op, which creates a marketplace to empower people to use their patient experiences to improve health innovations, and maybe to generate a little money for the patients in the process. She has a master's in ergonomics and biomechanics and a PhD in environmental medicine. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, it's our pleasure. To begin our discussion, let's just give you the opportunity to tell our listeners your unique story. How did you get to be where you are? Well, it starts way back, just when I was a baby, actually. I was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis when I was just an infant. So that's a form of arthritis that is similar to rheumatoid arthritis, but affects children. And so I've lived with that my entire life and several other autoimmune conditions that came along as fun comorbidities. I had a brain tumor removed eight and a half years ago. So certainly, you know, the fun doesn't stop just when you're a kid with chronic illness, it just keeps on giving. So all this to say that my lens has always been in healthcare, but from the patient perspective, it's what motivated me to go into healthcare, like many sick kids that get exposed to living in hospitals, they want to kind of see what they can do to affect change. And so originally, I thought I was going to be a physician, that was sort of the the path that I started to go on. But truthfully for me, I was a little bit disenchanted from the healthcare system that I saw my own providers couldn't practice the medicine that they even wanted to because of restrictions around insurance and and things like this. And so I decided to do something different, become a human factors engineer. And I know that that's probably a new term, not only to you, Dr. K, but to many others. What it essentially means is trying to figure out how to fit the world to the human, to the person, rather than the other way around in just making stuff and then telling people good luck and and hoping it works. And so as somebody living with arthritis and limited mobility, it was very important to me to figure out how to design a world that could be inclusive of people with different levels of ability, et cetera. So that's what kind of drove me down the human factors path. And One thing led to another, and then ultimately I got more involved in in doing academic research, and that's what I got my PhD. Technically, it's environmental medicine, but I studied patient-centered outcomes. My definition of the environment is what else affects somebody's health and health behaviors outside of just clinical markers that, you know, traditionally in research we've looked at, but it could be access to care or social support, um, you know, self-efficacy, all sorts of things that really are at play in the patient's day-to-day lives. So that kind of led me into the academic world, and that led me then to start doing other sort of clinical research, and I became a FDA advisor as well to make sure that they heard the patient experience, and 
that gives you a little bit of a taster into all the various little facets of the industry that I was involved in before starting Savvy. Well, it, it's clear that to me, the, the best way I can summarize how what you're doing is you are promoting personalized medicine from the patient's perspective. Yeah. I mean, I really want to make sure that we're working with patients in order to create a more personalized experience for those patients. And so I, I can't say that I'm creating those personalized experiences, but I'm giving a platform to both patients and companies so that they can work together to do so. So tell the listeners a little bit about your puppet shows. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, so when I started Savvy Cooperative, uh, you know, back in, in 2016, there was a need to create, you know, explainer videos and help people understand what are we doing? Obviously, it's a little bit newer to think about creating a marketplace for patient insights, but we needed to tell the world about it. And from my lens, starting a startup, I wanted to create something that was engaging. And when I was, you know, talking to various vendors or whatnot about creating a little explainer video, I was told that they were quite expensive. And as a startup founder, I said, well, gosh, I can do that. And so instead of, you know, having someone draw some fancy cartoons or things like that, I, I got me about $100 worth of props and I made myself a puppet show to explain what Savvy Cooperative is. And I think an extra layer that um, not everybody knows this part of the story that I find quite humorous myself is that my co-founder, Ronnie Sharp, is a cystic fibrosis patient. And so we you know, bonded over this need to include patients in the innovation process, but he and I have different personalities and he's very grounded and practical and <laughs> perhaps the opposite. And that's why we work so well together. And so therefore it happened to be at a time with, because of his CF, he was in the hospital. And so I didn't have that voice of reason telling me like, he used to say to me, Jen, is that the best use of your time? And so I decided, yes, it was the best use of my time. And I made a puppet video to explain Savvy. And it turns out to be a happy mistake that I did that because these little silly puppets ended up taking on a life of their own. And now they are Savvy's little mascots that you can see in cartoon form on our website or on, uh, you know, in our videos. They have their own Twitter channels and Instagram handles. So they're everywhere. That's fantastic. I, wa I watched one of the videos online of your, of your puppet show, but you, you made a statement that I, I have said the same words. And as someone who's uh, had a couple of startups myself, the words, I can do that. That is, that is one of the mainstays of philosophy of a, of a startup founder. <laughs> I can do, I can do I can that. Do that. Sure. So hard. I can do that. Um, okay, well, that's pretty cool. That, that gives us a really good background about you. Um, let's turn our attention to the Savvy, Co Savvy Cooperative itself. You list your core values on your website, uh, which includes some of them um, uh, I, caught me. Uh, champion inclusivity, innovate with purpose, elevate others, cultivate transparency, and I love this one, choose integrity. I just wish so many more people would do that today. So tell us about the Savvy Cooperative. Tell us about this, this startup of yours. 
Yeah, well, I think that, you know, even hearing those values recited back that we co-created with the community when we first started, you know, does bring me back. And I hope that we're upholding those. Truthfully, as you heard my background, I went into academia. So, you know, somebody who was foolish enough to try to go get a PhD did not intend to start a business. That was not what I thought I was doing. And when it came down to seeing this need that I saw, you know, very much firsthand from my professional colleagues that were trying to connect with patients, but that they either didn't have access or they kept talking to the same patients over and over again. And you just mentioned one of our values to champion inclusivity. It was really through the fact that there was a lot of my colleagues that kept asking me to speak on behalf of patients that made me feel uncomfortable because as somebody who's white with a PhD and lives in New York City, I could not possibly be representative of all the patients with my condition, let alone those with other conditions. And so that was really where there was that aha moment of, oh, these professionals need to talk to patients. And, but they just don't have a good way to access them. And sort of like, you know, the early version of Savvy before it was even a thing was me just posting on, you know, my Facebook page to my patient communities that I was very involved with saying, hey, anybody else want to share their opinion? And I was flooded by patients or caregivers that wanted to share. They just didn't have access to these opportunities. They didn't know anybody was asking. And so therefore, that's where we, you know, kind of said, oh, well, we can solve this. That's a, that's a platform. We just need to play matchmaker, as you said, to connect the two sides. So I saw the need for what became Savvy. What I think is the interesting layer to what we do is the fact that we are a patient-owned cooperative. And that was very deliberate because as a patient, I have been part of you know, many a conversations where people have taken my insights to go build for-profit companies and patients know that patients are getting a little bit jaded by, you know, how their data is being used with no remuneration back to them. So I did not want to create a company that was exacerbating some of those power dynamics. And so, you know, through some digging realized, oh, well, why don't we just have the patients own the company from the get go? And so as a cooperative, it means that we are collectively owned by our patient members and that they have ownership in what we do. And that they actually get to share in our profits as dividends based on, you know, how active they are in contributing. So, you know, we're, it's a very new model to try to figure out how to apply a, a co-op to a large, you know, sort of platform. But we're excited to try to create new ways of, of working with patients in ways that feels equitable, that we're valuing them and that we're maintaining our own integrity. You know, what could be more patient centered than a patient owned company? Tell me about how does the business work? What is the business model of Savvy Cooperative? Yeah, so the business model is that companies, be it uh, you know pharma companies or digital health companies, management consultancies, market research firms, whoever, people that want to you know get access to patients are able to say, hey, I'm looking to talk to 20 type 2 diabetes patients to you know, do some in-depth interviews so they can give feedback on a product that we're designing. We're designing a new app for people with type two diabetes, et cetera. They tell us whatever sort of inclusion exclusion criteria that they're looking for. Maybe they're looking only to talk to people on private insurance. Maybe they want people only in the Northeast, whatever that might be. Great, 
that then gets programmed onto the platform and then goes out to our members who are able to then answer a few different questions to see if they qualify. And the part that's, you know, the most interesting, I think, is the, the cooperative nature that our members are then able to go out and share that with their communities. And so they're able to share these opportunities in culturally sensitive ways. And that allows us to have deep penetration into diverse communities so that we can have representation of people that are sharing their insights back with whomever those innovators are. And so that's really the model. Companies pay us for access to patients and patients then also get paid when they participate in these opportunities. And that's what we do. So you have multiple families of patients who I would imagine with certain conditions and they function as subgroups within the savvy cooperative. Yeah. I mean, we actually don't necessarily think about like, you know, partitioning off. We don't have like, I think some people are more familiar with like a patient community that is like a Facebook group or a patients like me. Really what we're doing is we're just, you know, we're disease agnostic and that anybody can share these opportunities. So, you know, take me with juvenile arthritis. Well, I get to actually see all the different opportunities, not just ones for juvenile arthritis, because, you know, it might be that I have a parent with Parkinson's or a spouse with cancer or a child with asthma that I could be contributing to, or let's face it, a lot of people have comorbidities. Furthermore, there are many opportunities that we provide that are disease agnostic. It might be giving feedback on a patient portal or talking to pe people about vaccine hesitancy or whatever it might be. So we are very deliberately disease agnostic. So not to silo off these different conditions and like make people only their diagnosis. We keep it really broad. I see. And the patients then receive compensation for participation? They do. They do. And that can vary based on whatever the you know, activity is at hand. But we want those innovators to understand that they should equitably value the patients for the, the contribution that they've made. Nobody's quitting their day jobs and getting rich off of sharing patient experience. But if you participate in an hour-long interview, you should expect to maybe get about $100 for your time. And while some people may try to push back about, oh, is there bias because they're getting paid to do this? I, I will gladly talk to them about how it is inequitable if we don't pay them. And that exacerbates these health disparities if we only talk to people who are able to, to participate for free. Because, you know, people got bills to pay and childcare to participate, or they might have to take time off of work. And so we're going to lose a whole segment of the population if we don't compensate people for that time. And I think that's totally appropriate. Most of the most of the patient studies, uh, patients are compensated for their participation in studies. And, and if the providers are compensated, why shouldn't patients also be compensated as well? You're you giving up your time. You have to fill out surveys. You get you have to do something, so you should be compensated. Wonderful. That's a really really cool model, and I love the fact that it's a cooperative. We are proud to be the very first cooperative to ever receive venture capital. So it is exciting to see people looking at this as a value add, that this is actually the way that our business is stronger because of our model. And so therefore, it's time to start thinking about things a little differently. So the fact that it's a cooperative did not keep you from uh, being able to, to obtain VC funding. That's, that's, a, that's great. Yeah, I mean, believe me, it takes the right, um, you know, right investors to see this as a value add, but uh, just goes to show that we're, we're sort of blazing new trails. 
Okay, well, let's let's pivot just a little bit. We've talked a lot about patience, and and you know, I would imagine your biggest challenge is maintaining this patient engagement, this engaged population of patients. What are your biggest challenges in in building your your uh, patient cohorts? You know, I think it's as as somebody who runs a two sided marketplace, we actually always have to think about both sides, both the the patient community as well as the clients and who are they looking for. We very deliberately um, decided with the marketplace. You have to think about like who's who's like the patient, as in willing to wait side, not a patient as in a patient or caregiver. And in our case, we wanted to grow the network based on our clients' needs. And so that's how we did it, is that when our clients say, hey, we want to talk to those you know, type 2 diabetes patients, great, we go out and find them so that patients automatically already have an opportunity that may be relevant for them. Anybody can join our community on the patient or caregiver side, um, but that's sort of how we started. And that's always the hard part is just starting. And so over time, then there have been more and more opportunities for those patients to get involved in. And then as a cooperative, we're always looking for feedback from our membership to understand what else do they want from us? What, how can we be you know, serving their needs more and looking at various different ways that go even beyond our core business of matching with our clients, but thinking about how the, the community can support each other in sort of these non-traditional ways. There's a plenty of peer support groups out there. We're not meant to be that, but how could we have patients teaching patients other things and other skills? So we're look, really looking at creating sort of a, a new type of community with those that want to engage in what we do. We, we engaged you uh, to survey Crohn's patients. So, you know, you must have, I, I assume you pulled from existing patients that you already had in your cooperative that had inflammatory bowel disease, but let's say you didn't have enough patients. How do you go out and get them? Yeah. I mean, that's that's our our secret, not secret sauce. I'm happy to (laughs) talk about that, but that's really kind of what differentiates us from, you know, a typical recruitment agency of sorts is that we are not intimidated by like not having those people already in our known sort of network or database. We do a lot of work in rare disease. So let's talk about that because obviously that's very niche and it could be challenging to find those patients. But the way that we operate as a co-op is that we're able to leverage our members' individual networks. So it's a sort of like, you know, this little army of recruiters that go to their communities. It's kind of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon of patient advocacy where, you know, somebody knows somebody that has that condition. And I can share an example, Bayer, who is one of our, you know, big pharma clients. uh, We have a case study that I can share with you that, you know, they were working in an ultra rare disease and they wanted patient feedback. And they said, look, this is super rare. If we could talk to one patient, that would be a win, but really we're looking to talk to, you know, 12, 15, So we said, all right, yeah, we don't have those patients, but one of our members had a similar-ish type of condition. So they're like, let me reach out. 
So they reached out to a, I believe it was a Facebook group community and said, Hey, you know, I'm a patient too. I have this disease. I work with savvy and we have this opportunity for people with your condition to talk to a pharmaceutical company and share your experiences. And so again, it's this more authentic peer to peer outreach model that that community said, Oh yeah, we would love to contribute. And so we over-enrolled that project in less than two days. And so that just goes to show that it doesn't need to be in our network. We can have really, really common conditions. Talk about, well, not to say that IBD is really, really common, but you know, in terms of who you were trying to reach, it could have been really narrow eligibility criteria. It could be talking to people that have been on a certain therapeutic, who've been in a clinical trial. So it can get really broad with the condition level, but who you're looking for is still a needle in a haystack. And we use the same model there to go and reach the right people at the right time. And that's really what we want innovators to understand is that it is possible to talk to targeted patients. And we want to make it so easy and seamless to do so that they talk to the right patients at the right time and don't just guess. Let me do a little break here. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Jen Horanjeff, the founder and CEO of Savvy Cooperative. So let's, you've mentioned clinical trials. I've brought it up as well. I, I can tell you in the inflammatory bowel disease space, a major imbalance exists today between pharma needs for study participants and the patients that they can find that are available for study. There's been an explosion in drugs uh, for, the, for the IBD patient. And, and so all of these companies are competing to get these patients into trials. Tell us a little bit about your clinical trial experience and some of your successes and, and how you've filled the needs of those uh, pharma companies. Yeah, I would be happy to. So, you know, as you've heard me speaking, really what we're trying to do is get people to understand what it's like to be a patient. And when you talk about a clinical trial, it is not easy to A, find a trial, B, enroll in the trial, or C, stay in the trial. And so that's really what we do to help, be it a a pharmaceutical sponsor, the CROs, people who are developing, you know, support apps for people in trials, All of those people need to talk to patients so that they can create the best experience for patients. And so that's really kind of the work that we're doing in clinical trials, that you might want to understand what are the right outcomes or endpoints so that we can measure if this drug matters to patients or not. Too often we were just asking doctors or the sponsors or regulators or insurance companies, like what are the outcomes that they care about? But it's different for patients. I can tell you, this was a lot of my academic research and in things like inflammatory arthritis, fatigue is a huge issue, which of course should come to no surprise in the IBD or other autoimmune disease communities as well. But it wasn't measured. It wasn't measured in clinical trials before. So now we do measure it. And it's because patients said, this is what I want to know about this drug. So that might be something we need to do way before we start thinking about the clinical trial. Then if we're in the trial space, we need to understand what the protocol is. And so we provide patients to review clinical trial protocols. 
Are you asking a patient to come into a trial site once a week to tell you how they feel? And a patient could flag this and say, hey, why can't I just call you? And then you can make that a less burdensome trial to be a part of, especially now where we have so many decentralized trials rolling out. It's really important to understand what patients want. I think at the start of the pandemic, so many people swung really far towards, oh, we'll just send a phlebotomist straight to their home. And many patients are like, whoa, 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 I don't want you in my home. Can I just go to a local? site. So again, you know, obviously in a pandemic, we had to move really quickly, but we can't just guess what those folks want. We actually need to talk to them. And then it can also be recruitment materials. We've done a lot of work too, in making sure that underrepresented communities are reviewing materials so that they can say, this does not look like a trial that understands what it's like for a black or brown patient to be in it. And we've had those types of patients reviewing these materials that say, no, they, you know, this is not something that I would trust the language they're talking about, the imagery they're using. So there's so many different ways that we can get input from patients to make the best possible experience for them to understand that they can be part of clinical research. Well, Jen, this has been a wonderful discussion. I want to close with a couple of things. First off, I heard a rumor about you dressing a certain way at a certain investor conference. Would you like to tell the listeners about this? Probably one of the last things I did pre-pandemic was um, was at the J.P. Morgan conference in San Francisco in what January 2020, before the world locked down, and. You know, I've been attending this conference for many years and, you know, I'm just always sort of on the lookout for are people talking to patients and and nowhere more should you make sure that you're understanding whether or not a product or service is necessary and valuable and worth investment than in this space to say, hey, do patients actually want this stuff? But at J.P. Morgan, it's always a bunch of suits walking around just talking about patients and making the predictions of the latest trends in a vacuum without patients. So, you know, I, I call this out every year and, you know, people may take notice or not, but I tried a new tactic in 2020. And that was um, on a panel discussion that I was part of rather than be donned in a suit like others, I decided instead to wear a hospital gown. (laughs) And I sat on stage with no pants on and just in a (laughs) hospital gown to really highlight this in a visual way that there is a power imbalance between the decision makers and between the patients. And so how can we not just look at patients as people we do things to, but instead really value them as somebody who has a different experience. And this is because like, you know, when people talk about, we are all patients for those of us that have been living with chronic illness, our whole lives, it makes our stomachs churn. You don't know what it's like. You can't possibly, and that's okay because you have other valuable things to bring to a conversation. But if we say that we don't need to talk to patients because, oh yeah, I know what it's like for an African-American metastatic breast cancer patient. No, you don't. And so we really want to drive home that this is not a threatening thing for us to work together. It's actually the best way for us to accelerate these innovations so we can improve patients' lives faster. One final point. If someone's listening to this or wants to refer somebody to it, what's the best way to accomplish that? Come visit us on our website, which is www.itssavvy.coop, C-O-O-P. And whether you're a patient or a caregiver, 
or you're a company or an innovator that wants to talk to patients, we all meet up there and we would be love to have you part of our community. So please come visit us. Well, that's thank you, Jen. And, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. You can learn more about this show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine VI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.